Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Warning, this podcast contains paranormal conspiracy and true crime cases. The nature of these cases may be gory, unsettling, or vulgar. Please be advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan, and this is episode 68. 68. Guys, it has been a minute since we've been on the mics. We pre-recorded everything all the way up until New Year's, until 67. The weekend after, yeah. We haven't seen each other in like three weeks. No, we have not. Taylor was dying. I was dying. (laughs) I was literally dying. I felt like I was like alone in the world. Oh, man, but... Overall, we had really great Christmas breaks and New Year's. Um, Really great to spend some time with family. Yeah. And guys, we noticed that we have a ton of new listeners. So hello and welcome to the family. Welcome. We are so happy to have you here. Um, We're going to run through a little bit of our structure for our episode. So we give you an intro. It's about eight minutes long, usually. Um, And then I start my segment, and that's either a paranormal or a conspiracy story of some sort it's so fun <laughs> um then we might have a couple ads here and there throughout and then taylor's gonna go and she's gonna do her true crime segment of the day and if it's a special episode then we will follow it with some tfus yeah, which means we totally. try not to drop f-bombs <laughs> in the beginning of the intro but yeah. tfu means totally fucked, fucked up <laughs> and we love our tfu section yes that's normally if it's a drunky episode. Right. Um, or if there's like some tea we have to spill at the end. Yeah. Um, but we're not drinking today. Typically, we would have a glass in hand, but we're trying to exercise dry January as long yeah. as we can. But I don't think it's going to last we much longer. We go to Nashville next weekend and we will probably be drinking. Yeah, we're going to go <laughs> wedding dress shopping. So I can guarantee that there's going to be champagne and mimosas Absolutely. involved. Yeah. So And we're <laughs> here for it. We tried our best. Right. We did the best that we could. And that's, I mean, that's all you can ask from us. Yeah. Um, next, we wanted to um, talk about our Patreon of oh, the yes. month. So our Patreon of the month is Miss Valerie. Valerie. Snaps to you, Valerie. And you know where the snaps are coming from, girl. <laughs> um, Valerie has been with us really since the beginning. Um, she is an avid creeps and crimer and we started our patreon and she was one of our if not she was the very first subscriber to our patreon so we wanted to give her a shout out um you guys can actually follow her on instagram it's valerie in the stars yes that's correct and she you can kind of she does like uh, she's a big 
um, astrology person. Yes. So I, I, I mean, there's got to be a better way to put that. Zodiacs, but, astrology, yeah. all that horoscopes, stuff. horoscopes. Yes. And she's great at. It. She knows what she's talking about. Yes. So if you're into that, definitely go check her out. She's always letting us know what we need to look out for. Yeah. That's what we can always count on Valerie for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She tells us when and when we're not in retrograde. <laughs> yes, absolutely. What's the next one on our list? I think I'm a little out of sorts um, for it. You are going to tell them about your wedding experience. Guys, 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 guys. Click the room, hold the phone, call 911. I got noticed. She got noticed. I got recognized. So I'm at, okay, so my um, my cousins, it's actually my husband's cousins, but I claim them as my own, right. um, got married. It was Delaney and Eli, so congratulations. They congratulations, listened to the podcast Delaney. as well. So they had a beautiful wedding. We were in Fort, uh, not Fort Myers, Fort Pierce, Florida. And that's where Logan grew up. So, you know, Logan knows a lot of the people down there. So, I, you know, I was just, you know, going around meeting everyone. Hi, I'm Logan's wife, blah, blah, blah. And this girl that was one of the bridesmaids comes running up to me and she's like, are you Creeps and Crimes Taylor? Ah! And I was like, shut up. Shut up. I'm like fangirling over her. Right. For recognizing me. Right. And I'm like, can we get a picture together? So I like made her get a picture of me. And I was like, we have to call Morgan. So it, I called Morgan. It's late. It's late. Yeah. I'm getting a FaceTime call. I'm like, hello. I'm drunk. And she's like, I got recognized. And like, and like this look at this like, girl. This girl's like, hey, Morgan. I'm like, what's up, girl? Morgan's like <laughs> asleep on the couch. <laughs> I am. I'm like, what is going on? It's like 1130 at night. And I'm yeah. blowing her shit up. I'm like, answer the phone now. <laughs> I did pick up quick. You, you did. You should have been proud of me. I was so shocked. I, I told the girls, like, she might not answer. <laughs> it was so funny. And I did. So, booyah. Yeah, um, we you. are going to try to pick up our birthday shout outs, but we are, I don't know if you guys noticed, but we've been growing a little bit. So, yeah. we're going to do our very best. Yes. Um, so, let us we know. We have two birthday shout outs. Happy birthday, Alyssa, and happy birthday, Bethany. Happy birthday, girls. Thanks. Happy birthday, gal pals. Thanks for being in the fam. You guys have been with us for a hot sec, too. Yeah, okay, so we're going to tell you about some creepy accounts. Um, guys, so we've been getting a little bit of yes. action in that department. We've got a lot. And so if you don't know what a creepy account is, basically what we do is we read your stories. So some podcasts label them as like listener tales, listener stories, so on and so forth. We call them creepy accounts. So all you have to do is hop on to either our website, our email, or our Instagram and DM email or submit your creepy stories to us and we're going to read it live on the podcast. Yes. So we definitely need those. You can be anonymous if you want. You, we don't have to say who you are, but we would just love because those are our favorites. Like, yeah. And we usually try them. to do about like six to eight yes. creepy accounts per episode. Right now we have about five. So yes. we, we need just a few more. We just need a few more. And the more we get, the longer the episode will be, yes. the better content we'll and have. And then the more creepy account episodes you can have. Right. Exactly. Um, and lastly, we want you guys to jump on your phones right now, head over to Instagram and yes. follow us at Creeps and Crimes Podcast. You can jump onto TikTok and follow us at Creeps and Crimes. You can follow us on Twitter at Creeps underscore crimes i have no idea why we couldn't do them all the same because there was a blog from like 2012 right called creeps and crimes yeah yeah yeah. well we need to we need to we need to pay them i like i tried (laughs) to email them and i was like hey is this active still they're like they didn't respond it's not active yeah yeah and then you can follow me on instagram at morgue.m double the g guys haven't heard that oh geez and then you can follow me on instagram at taylor j with an A. And follow the queen on TikTok at TaylorJane98. Stop. You can follow me on TikTok too. I think it's at Morgan Mounts 3. Four. Morgan Mounts 3. Yeah. 
Yo, I think yes. that's right. I think that I believe that's right. If not, you can hop on mine or Creeps and Crimes and we're tagged. She's tagged on all the things. Yeah. So yeah, guys, we've had a crazy few days for yes. sure. And we're just so thankful for everything. I think we should tell them about our ranking at this point in time. Yeah. So if you guys were on our live today, this is when we're recording episode 68. It was Sunday. Sunday, so, Sunday January bef- 9th. January 9th. Yeah. Sunday before 68. Um, Taylor and I, for those of you that don't know, Taylor and I got an email this morning that said, you've been ranked on Apple's top <laughs> charts. Click to view more. And so we got, we were like, holy freaking crap so we got our phones out and we're like we need to record this reaction because this is going to be too good this is the most exciting thing that we that has happened to us so far um so we jump on there and we find out that on the true crime (laughs) category of all apple podcasts in the united states we were ranked 38 38 and that by the time we're recording this we are at 30 Six, 36, 35, 35, 35. We just checked right yeah. now. We're at 35. And then it says you're also ranked in another category. We're like, and what? This category is all podcasts in the United States. Any category. So any it's like it's not designated. It's every it's single comedy, podcast. philosophy, everything. And we were ranked one hundred and eighty eight, which shit. is absolutely insane. So we jump on Google like how many podcasts are there on Apple? And there are five hundred thousand at more than five hundred thousand active podcasts on Apple right now. Um, and there are like millions of podcasts that are on there. But the active ones are the ones that will post every week. And out of five hundred thousand, you guys, we are ranked one hundred and eighty eight. And actually, right now we're one hundred and eighty six. I think. Yes. Oh, guys, this has been the craziest day. So we we were supposed to record four hours ago and we've just been like (laughs) screaming, looking at each other, like just like big eyes. Like, what do we do? (laughs) We just keep like going looking at it. We're like, is this real? I told her I was like, this is going to be a glitch. Yeah. We're going to wake up tomorrow morning and be like, wait, why aren't we on? There's no way that was real. Yeah. And and I'm going to be like going through my computer. I'm like, didn't we record this already? Let's go back. And and this is not going to be like today's not real. Today's not real. There's just absolutely no way that today is real. Oh, my God. And then imagine if we woke up and we're like, we swear to God, we were on the top charts. And y'all like, y'all are Crazy. You're like, I didn't see a single, I don't know what yeah, you guys are talking about. Psychos. Anyway, like, no. we are so thankful to be there. It has been the best day of our lives. The best day of our lives. And we couldn't have gotten to this point if we didn't have all of our listeners and all of our new subscribers and our OGs that have been with us since day one from the shitty mics yes. to, to now. From with the, the deja studio. vu to the Pascagoula <laughs> abduction. Yeah, from the deja from the, vu. What's yours? What's yours? Uh, mine was... Was it Jennifer Pan? From Jennifer Pan to... Teresita Bassa. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Um, So we are so thankful. We are so grateful. And we just absolutely love you guys. Um, It's time. It's time. Well, we want to talk about reviews real quick. Oh, yes, quickly. Usually we'll read our... Sorry, I can't speak. (laughs) Is everything okay? I'm shaking again. Um, My words are getting all fumbled. But usually we will read our reviews. Um, If we have any new ones, we'll read them in our intro. So we're going to save that for next week because our intro has been kind of long. It's It's had a lot of information. So if you want your review featured, go ahead and enter it today. We will read it (laughs) next week, baby. We'll read it next week. And do not forget, Spotify listeners, they just gave us the opportunity to get a rating on there. So go give us five stars only. Five yeah. stars only. Yeah, no one star bullshit. Yeah, none of that. If you don't like it, just get off of it. Like it's, it's good. <laughs> yeah, you know? don't be mean. Don't don't yeah. be mean to us, please. Anyway, that's all I've got to say. So Morgan, hit him with it. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up, and let's get creepy.
Okay, Morgan, what do you have for us today? Alrighty, today I am going to be talking about one of the most notorious political families in history. Oh, shit. The Kennedys. Oh, God, And yes. everyone knows I stray away from the politics, but this isn't about the politics, okay? No. This is about a curse, and it is known as the Kennedy family curse. And it starts with Joseph P. Kennedy Sr. So throughout my segment, there's going to be a lot of name drops, okay. um, mostly because the families have like 11 kids each. Like the kids got 11 kids. Like, so just kind of like really focus in and pay attention on the names. Um, Before I start, my sources are wikipedia.org, our baby, cnn.com, historyhit.com, irishcentral.com, youtube.com, reddit.com, and sparechangenews.com. Perfect. Joseph Kennedy Sr. was born on September 6th, 1888 in Boston, Massachusetts. His parents were descendants of a very poor Irish immigrant family from Co-Wexford. He played baseball growing up and attended the Boston Latin School, where he got his diploma in 1908. He then attended Harvard and graduated with a bachelor's degree in economics in 1912. Two years later, in 1914, he married Rose Fitzgerald, who was the daughter of the mayor of Boston at the time. Oh, Joseph and Rose had nine children, four boys and five girls. Hell yeah. Oldest to youngest, their names were Joseph Jr., John, which is a.k.a. JFK, Rosemary, Kathleen, Eunice, Patricia, Robert, Jean, and Edward. After college, he immediately jumped into a career of business and investing, making a large fortune as a stock market and commodity investor. He took this fortune and reinvested it into the real estate in a wide range, and I say wide range with quotations, of business industries. When Wall Street crashed in 1929, Joseph Kennedy Sr. allegedly, take it with a grain of salt, um, started a bit of business with a well-known Italian crime boss, Frank Castillo. I love that name. This was also the heat of the prohibition, whereas believed Kennedy was involved with an Italian mob and other bootlegging operations. And this left him making yet again another fortune. But it is believed to be dirty money. Dirty. Joseph Kennedy Sr. quickly dove into politics. He was the leading member of the Democratic Party of the Irish and the Irish Catholic community. He was appointed by President FDR to be the first chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, and he directed the Maritime Commission. He was also the United States Ambassador for United Kingdom. So he was pretty, pretty out there. He's pretty in there. Um, as his boys got older, he was heavily involved in their political career, and he raised his sons to be risk takers. The Kennedy family then began to climb the social ladder, becoming a political dynasty. What they didn't know as they climbed their way to the White House were the numerous tragedies that would happen to the family in the years to come. The first tragedy took place in November of 1941, when oldest daughter, Rosemary Kennedy, 23 years old, suffered from a botched lobotomy. Oh, God. Rosemary was believed to have suffered from a lack of oxygen at birth. As she grew up, she wasn't hitting the same developmental milestones as other children who were her age. So she was sent to schools for the, quote, intellectually disabled, as well as getting that extra time and attention that she needed. But as she got older, she began to experience pretty violent mood swings and fits. And with a family that's all about image and that's always in the press, these fits were becoming a little harder to hide from the public. So Joseph Kennedy Sr., her father, decided to have a lobotomy performed on Rosemary without informing the rest of the family, (gasps) including his wife. 
Oh, oh. Unfortunately, the lobotomy was botched, which any lobotomy is, is a I was botched to say, lobotomy, if you ask me. Yeah. Like, it was also humane. Like, what kind of lobotomy is a good lobotomy? And, like, know? was he really going to get a lobotomy if he didn't tell anybody? Right, exactly. So, the lobotomy left Rosemary with the mental cap- capability of a two year old, which was 23. <sighs> That is so awful. It also took away her ability to walk and talk. Oh, my God. The rest Dad. Of, yeah. The rest of her life was spent hidden away in private institutions oh. as her family truly believed that if the public knew of her illness, it would be damaging for the son's political ambitions. What the hell? Yeah. Really fucked up. Yeah. That's not cool. Three years later, in August of 1944, oldest son, Joseph Kennedy Jr., or Joe Jr., died tragically in an explosive plane accident. Oh, God. Joe Jr. enlisted in the U.S. Naval Reserve and trained to be a naval aviator just three years prior to his death. He completed 25 combat missions and then was assigned to two top-secret operations known as Operation Aphrodite and Operation Anvil during Mm. World War II. Should I probably talk about those one day? Maybe. Sounds interesting. Sounds like it's got one of those names that you're like, okay, that would make a good yeah, like conspiracy issue. Like, yeah. Sounds like a really good title for episode 69. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, during a mission, an explosive located in his plane detonated early, blowing up the plane and instantly killing Joe Jr. and his co-pilot. And because the mission was so top secret, there was no information ever revealed until like 10 years later when World War II ended. Yeah. Oh. Four years later, in 1948, daughter Kathleen Kennedy had just started things off with a new man, recently divorced Lord Fitzwilliam. Seeking her father's approval, she decided to fly to her father in Paris. On her way back to the United States, her private plane was caught in a severe storm, causing the plane into a deep dive and violently impacting into the ground. Kathleen and the other three members on board were killed instantly. Oh, gosh. So right now, this man's got two kids passed away because of plane accidents. Crazy. This is just crazier and crazier with everyone. In 1954, <laughs> John F. Kennedy married the beloved-to-be First Lady Jackie Kennedy. Jackie wanted a big, beautiful family like how her husband was raised up in. But unfortunately, the two had suffered one miscarriage and one stillbirth. Mm. On August 1963, Jackie gave birth to Patrick Kennedy. Patrick, who was born premature, lived for 39 hours before passing away due to complications of hyaline membrane disease. Three months later, on November 22, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas by Lee Harvey Oswald. And we know that story. Poor Jackie can't catch a break. Yeah, that's so bad. Five years later, on June 5th, 1968, JFK's brother, Robert, was assassinated by Saran Saran in the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. It was the day he won the California Democratic presidential primary. Robert died the following morning in the hospital. Four kids down right now. Oh, my God. One in a private institution. Robert and his wife, Ethel, had 11 children. Their fourth oldest, David, watched as his father was shot on live television as he was in the hotel room just a few floors up. Oh, my God. He was 12 years old. Oh, my God. After a car accident, David began to abuse painkillers and was constantly in and out of rehab facilities. On April 25th, 1984, David Kennedy, who was Robert's son, was found OD'd in a Palm Beach, Florida hotel room. The day he died, he was visiting his grandmother, who had just suffered from a stroke. Oh, my God. Another down. 
Another son of Roberts, Michael Kennedy, which was the sixth oldest out of the 11, died in a skiing accident after skiing into a tree in Aspen, Colorado on December 31st, 1997. Two years later, JFK Jr., which was JFK's son, um, was flying to Martha's Vineyard from New Jersey to attend a family wedding. It was a private plane that JFK Jr. was piloting when it crashed into the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Massachusetts. The crash was deemed pilot error and spatial disorientation. JFK Jr., his wife, as well as his sister-in-law were all on board and all tragically lost their oh lives. Oh my God. And I wish I was done, but oh I'm not. Oh my God, there's more? Fast forward to more recent years. Former U- United States Senator Ted Kennedy, which was the youngest of the original Kennedy family, died of glioblastoma in, ni- in 2009. Two years later, his daughter Kara died of a heart attack while ex- exercising in a Washington, D.C. health club. And on April 2nd, 2020, Maeve Kennedy McKean, which would be Robert Kennedy's granddaughter, went missing while canoeing on the Chesapeake Bay with her eight-year-old son, Gideon. Maeve's body was found by divers four days later, and Gideon's two days after hers. While that sums up most of the tragic deaths, there were some more drug overdoses from grandchildren as well as suicides within that timeline. Jesus. And if you think this family couldn't endure any more tragedy, you're wrong. On October 3rd, 1955, Ethel Kennedy, who was the widow of Robert F. Kennedy, who was assassinated in the hotel, her parents died in a plane crash in Oklahoma. Oh, my God. On June 1964, youngest of the siblings, Ted Kennedy, survived a plane crash that killed everyone else on board. Wow. The private plane crashed in an apple apple orchard, orchard, <laughs> sorry, apple orchard near Southampton, Massachusetts. He was pulled from the plane wreckage by the other surviving passenger, Birch Bay. He spent five months recovering in a hospital from a broken back, punctured lung, broken ribs, and internal bleeding. Five years later, Ted Kennedy, the same one who survived the plane crash, was involved in what is known as the Chappaquiddick Incident. The Chappaquiddick Incident involved Senator Ted Kennedy and 28-year-old Mary Jo Kopachini. Sorry. C. Mary Jo K. Okay. (laughs) Late one night, they were leaving a party on Chappaquiddick Island. Ted Kennedy was driving and was supposed to be dropping off passenger Mary Jo at the ferry landing. The car skidded off the bridge and into the water. (gasps) Ted Kennedy escaped the car, swam to shore, and left the scene. Oh, my God. He didn't report the accident to police until 10 the next morning. But at that point, the officials already knew of the accident and recovered Mary Jo's body from the car. Senator Ted Kennedy was found guilty of leaving the scene of an accident, received a two-month suspended jail sentence, and lost his license for 16 months. That's it? He didn't go to jail. The dude didn't even go to jail. Are you kidding me? Um, that so, was like literally manslaughter. Exactly. Yeah, he didn't go to jail. Wow. So there was just so much other shit. Um, one of Ted's sons wrecked his car into a barricade on Capitol Hill at 2.45 in the morning, was found to be under the influence he got a $350 fine. Are you shitting me? On Capitol Hill. On Capitol Hill. Wrecked into a barricade. $350. Are you serious? I swear to God. We need to marry into that family. We can murder somebody and get yeah. away with it. Let's get into the Kennedys. I'm getting a divorce and we're moving to the Kennedys, but we'll probably all die. So um, never mind. Another of Ted's sons who was 12 or when he was 12, he was diagnosed with bone cancer and he had to have his right leg surgically amputated. Like the list just didn't stop. I'm doing this research and it was just ongoing, 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 everyone dying tragically. So what was causing one of the most notorious families in history to be dying off so tragically? 
Is there a Kennedy curse? And if there is, well, where did it come from? So now I'm going to run through a couple conspiracies on how this could possibly be explained. And then, Taylor, we can talk about each one super quick. Okay, perf. So the first one we have is Dirty Laundry. Um, Since Joseph P. Kennedy was believed to do some dealings with the Italian mob in particular and other mafias that they were tied into them for the last like 100 years. Like that's what people believe. Like they've been involved with the mafia for the last 100 years and the family has never really been able to get out of it. Yeah. Um, so one conspiracy is that was, is it possible that everything that's happened to them has been some type of like mafia hit and like very strategically, you know, placed throughout them as like right. payback for either leaving them or for not doing what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, it literally, it literally sounds like that. I literally thought, I keep saying literally, um, whenever you were like going through the original, I'm like, did they leave a cult? Like, yeah. are they coming after them? What's the deal? Yeah. Oh, is that another um, one? You're smiling at me weird. No, it's oh, okay. not. There's not a cult. Um, the next one is the government. And there's a couple of explanations that could go with this one. So first, let's take it with a grain of salt. Remember, Um, Members of the Kennedy family were believed to be infiltrated in other governments, so making them spies, which would make the government want to kill you off. Um, The Kennedy family as a whole had too much power, and every single event that happened to the family was strategically done to prevent any of the Kennedys, Kennedys to get into the White House. And when they were close to getting to the White House, they were assassinated. That's great. You're so right. Yeah. I wish I wish we had a board that I could write all this out on and see it written out. Like I, I want a visual representation of what this is. Yeah, it is all insane. Like like a like a map. Like, yeah, like yeah. the map that like an old detective's map. Yeah, that's with what like I the need. Yarn. And yeah. The, yeah, that's what I want. Exactly. Me too. From our photo shoot. Um, the third one is the Con- Connemara legend. So in this legend, um, Thomas Fitzgerald, who would be JFK's grandfather on his mother's side, mm-hmm. so Rose's father was believed to have interfered with a cursed treasure trove in the 1840s. And then he used these findings, so like this gold and whatever else he found, sold it, and set himself up in America. And remember, they were the mayors of Boston. So grandpa was the mayor of Boston, then his son was the mayor of Boston. Um, So people believe that removing these findings from the trove cursed Fitzgerald and any family members. to tragically die later on in life which is interesting because then it wouldn't be a kennedy curse it would be you know the fitzgerald curse and it's just on that side of the line um in the fourth one my personal favorite oh i'm excited is that joseph p kennedy senior jfk's father sold his soul to the devil Mm. He went down to the crossroads. It is believed that Grandpa Joe, um, wow, that's not a good time to say that, um, sold his soul to gain fame and fortune for the generations that would come after him to gain them political power. But unfortunately, that deal came with some unforeseen consequences. This conspiracy theory in particular is so interesting because Joseph P. Kennedy was the one to start off the Kennedy legacy. He was. And he did get his fame and fortune, but then for the next 60 years of his life, he watched as child by child and grandchild by grandchild was tragically picked off this earth. Oh my God. So he was the one that suffered from it. So he sold his soul for his fortune, not for his legacy. Right. Wow. How selfish. Yeah. I'm acting like this is like he, well, fact. He, so he lived to be 81 years old. Wow. And he died peacefully in his home. What a dick. And, and you know what? What's so crazy about all of this is that 
you can have some tragedies in your life, yeah. like especially with family members, but it is very rare and very unlucky for every single person to like for six of them to die in a plane crash, exactly. for two of them to be assassinated, for this one to go missing in a river, this one to go off a bridge. Like that is seriously insane. Yes. And the person that it is punishing the most is their father yeah because he's having to watch as he's having every, to watch his bloodline is living literally getting his picked life off. 81 years so for i mean he had kids when he was like started having kids when he was 20 so for yeah. 60 yeah. years he watched as kid after kid after kid they struggled some of them struggled with infertility some like i mean it's right craziness. and you can't even think of just the tragedies like like there's like, a there lot of miscarriages things. yes there stillborns there was you like, know premature um, deaths and yes or that it all started when he Got his daughter a botched lobotomy. That's I was about to say that. Ju- so what happened? Like what happened? That almost sounds like fucking karma, right? For what he did to his daughter, right? Because he was so sons, selfish, and his sons were his prized possession. Like he only focused on them. He wanted them to be, you know, like these political like badasses. Yeah. Why can't your women be it? Weren't y'all all like really progressive and fun? But you want to mm-hmm. hold your women back and put them in right private places, huh? Yeah. So the Soul the Soul of the Devil is like my kind of favorite. Yeah, um, I do like that one. Um, a lot of people don't believe that there is a Kennedy family curse. Um, they think that um, Joseph P. Kennedy Sr. like was just so hard on the boys and like convinced them or raised them to be such risk takers that they put themselves in these positions to die tragically and that it's not a curse. It's just like wrong place, wrong time. But like, how can you say that? I'm a risk taker. So I'm going to accidentally go down in a plane. uh, Yeah, I'm going to accidentally crash my plane into the Atlantic Ocean. Like, what do you mean risk taker? Like, first off, you can't be a risk taker when you're talking about that. What's it called? FAA? Yeah. Yeah. And also, after... So many of your siblings dying in a plane crash. Why are we still getting in planes? Yeah, let's. I would never. I I couldn't put me on a boat. I would be. Yeah. I mean, actually, I'm, I'm just not, never like, going across I, the pond. So whenever they were asked about it, like you know, do you believe your family has a curse? And the, they kind of would just like laugh it off, play it off, and be like, I just think whatever's up there doesn't want us in the sky. Like that's like how they like played it off. Because like a lot of them were. Dude, I wonder if they really were. I, I wonder if that was like a thing being like, no, we keep getting shot down. Like yeah. w- our planes aren't accidentally crashing. We're getting shot down. Right. And like your explosive accidentally like pre-detonated. That's so On whack. your top secret mission that no one knew about except for the government. Like, And then that's drawing attention to what the government's doing right, if it and crashes. And then they can't release. They can't even tell your family members because it's a top secret operation and you weren't supposed to be where you were. What do you mean you can't tell your like ah, that is just it just doesn't make so sense. So do to you me. think the Kennedy family has a curse? Yeah, I think that. Well, I don't know. I don't know if the, like someone's after them or if there's an actual curse. I heavily believe in karma. And so I, I have a feeling that like a lot of it has to do with karma. But I do want to say so the karma is the curse. But I do want to say like I have a feeling that there's a bigger one world situation that was after them because they were like a satanic kind of ordeal maybe maybe even just the fact that they knew if you know they got into the office and got high up all of them that it would have turned into like the kennedy show right and we would have been the united states of the kennedys right and that was scary for them I mean, that could have been really scary for other countries, too, because people loved the and it, Kennedys. And it would have been more of like a royal family situation. Yeah, exactly. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yes. Thank you for putting and that. And we yes. are, and we are, what are we called? What, what is the United States? 
of America. We're not a, a matriarch, right? <laughs> I, What's it called? Like the fam, the royal. It starts families? with an M, right? Yeah, I don't remember matriarchy. Maybe not. I don't remember. I Good don't luck. <laughs> but what's crazy is that it started in 1940s and the most recent one was in 2020 when like, the granddaughter. So and they believe like the ling- linguistic or whatever the word is. Yeah. Um, about the whole like canoe accident that they just she was chasing her son's ball that he threw and their canoe just overturned in the Chesapeake Bay. So they didn't know how to swim. Right. No, I get that people and don't know how to sp- swim. Bay is like. I mean, it's, it's dirty. It is dirty, yes, but it's not like crazy rapids. No, you can get out of it. Well, I'm speaking with having like, assuming that they're in the area that I know of it. There might be more than, you know, that's just me speaking from that. And you can flip over, hit hit your head on a rock. Yes. There absolutely is like happened, explanations for it. I mean, your body shouldn't be taking four days to be found. Right. I mean. And both of them. Both of them. Passed away. That's crazy. Chasing her ball, or the ball in the canoe. I'm like, I'll buy you a new one. Yeah. I'm not going to get in this. That was their story. Who, whose story, the though? That, like, they, that they released to the public. The media story. So who was, there? like, I want to know who was there. Someone had to be there to say that right. that's what she was Maybe going to do. Maybe they found a ball on the bank yeah. or something. This was, was his identified. ball. I have no idea, but I think that there's a Kennedy curse. And there's a Kennedy curse. The conspiracy there is in me, and the paranormal wants to believe that they sold their soul to the devil. Yeah, I Grandpa like Joe did. I need to stop saying that because it's way too relevant right now. And I don't want to be confused. (laughs) I don't want people to be confused. But you guys, um, that is the Kennedy curse. And I would love to hear your thoughts on it. So write in and let me know if you think it is real. Yeah, we need to know. Because that is just way too much. Do you think it's like a government hit? Do you think it's a curse? Do you think it's karma? Or what was the other one? Um, the legend of like the treasure. Yeah. The The mafia. The mafia. Yeah. Let us know what you think. Um, I That's feel like I we got. talked that one down into the ground. We were like, yeah, they're they're awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's all we got. But all right, guys. All right, Taylor. What do you have for us? Okay, guys. So the case I have for you today is crazy. Um crazy, crazy. it is the case of Tammy Rea. My sources are Case Files Podcast, newspapers.com, Rapid City Journal, Oxygen, Casper Star Tribune, FindLaw.com, DRG News. Deadly Affairs, The Billings Gazette, NBC, Yankton Daily, question mark, uh, Haley Rea, and Memory of Tammy Burns Rea.com, Facebook, and Reddit. Reddit! All right, let's jump into this. So, on the morning of February 8th, 2006, 12 year old Haley Rea woke up and got ready for school, just like any regular day in the small town of Pierre, North, South Dakota. And you already know how I feel like. Yeah, South Dakota doesn't exist. The Dakotas (laughs) are not real places. Um, (laughs) She was exhausted because the night before she had had a basketball game and she was so excited to tell her father, 46 year old Brad, about it at the breakfast table that morning since he was unable to make it due to working late as an associate manager for Walmart. But her mother, 41-year-old Tammy, was always there for her, of course, and um, they would be able to tell him about how good she did. So Haley got dressed and headed to the kitchen where she sat down at the table and she found her father cooking and doing laundry, which was extremely out of character. Haley, confused as to where her mother was, as she typically would be down there with her coffee and a sweet good morning hug, decided to go to her mother's bedroom in search of her. However, Tammy was nowhere to be found, and the bed was perfectly made. 
Tammy and Brad, husband and wife, had two separate bedrooms. Okay. And Haley was like, oh, that's weird. So she returns to the kitchen and she's like, hey, dad, where's mom? To which he responded, she's probably in her bedroom getting ready. Haley explained that she was not in there. So where else would she be? Which is when Brad says, honey, she's probably with her boyfriend and will be back later. Um, This was a shock to Haley, obviously. Yeah, heck yeah, it is. <laughs> she knew that her parents' marriage wasn't great and that they actually sat her down just a few weeks earlier to let her know that they would be getting a divorce soon. But she didn't know that her mom had a boyfriend and never did that cross her mind, you right. know? And also, you don't want to tell your kid that, you know? So Haley, processing what she had just been told, loads into the car with her dad and he drops her off at school. And on the way there, he says, hey, don't tell anybody that your mom has a boyfriend. Like, well, then you shouldn't have told civil. her. Like, don't tell her. She's 12 years old and she's going to school. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. As if he didn't just like drop the bomb on her while she's getting ready for school. Like at least wait until after so she can process it, you know, whatever. But Haley just could not shake the feeling that something was wrong with her mom. Did she really leave without saying goodbye? No, she would never do that. All day, Haley replayed the night before with her mom, just trying to think of any little sign that she could where she could be or if she actually left her alone with her father. She was lost in these thoughts when her name was announced over the school's intercom system. Oh, that's never a good sign. Summoning her to the office. Her anxiety almost literally poured out of her as she was walking down the hallways, making her way to the main office. And when she opened the doors, it was as if time stopped. Standing there, waiting for her, were two police officers, wanting to ask her questions about her mother's whereabouts and her parents' relationship. I'm sure you're asking, like, how the police are already involved, because this is, what, three hours later? Right. Which never happens in cases like this. Uh, Yeah. So I'm going to take us back in time. You wish it would happen. Yeah, exactly. I wish that's how it worked, but it doesn't. So I'm going to take us back in time and discuss what had been going on up to this point. So earlier that morning, 911 dispatchers received a call from a man named Brian Clark. Brian and Tammy were co-workers at the local Walmart, and that morning, Tammy didn't come into work at her scheduled time, which is extremely out of character for Tammy. She was a very punctual woman who loved her job, and she never would be late or not come in at all without calling and letting her managers know, at least. So Brian grew a little worried as the minutes ticked. It was only an hour after her scheduled time. So he decided to report Tammy missing. Brian starts off the phone call telling the dispatcher that he needed to report a missing person and explain that she didn't come into work. And the dispatcher's like, yeah, sometimes people do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So why are we reporting her missing? And Brian says, well, foul play could be suspected. Huh. Okay, what do you know, Brian? Very odd way about going to report a missing person. Yeah. So the dispatcher asks for more details while pulling officers to come sit with them. Brian explains that he and Tammy have been having an affair for over a year and her husband just found out about it. He's the boyfriend. Uh-huh. He's the bae. So officers take over the phone call with the dispatcher and they're like, hey, Brian, can you come down to the station? We're going to need to write a full report if you really think that she's in danger. And he agrees. So he arrives at the station and he explains to the officers that he was married and had a wife and life of his own, but he did not want his wife to know about this affair. He would like to keep that a secret. However, he was extremely worried about Tammy's well-being. 
He and Tammy had met um, up that evening before at a motel after work, left in time for Tammy to go to her daughter's basketball game. And at this point, the most that detectives can do is do a welfare check on the Rhea home. Right. Just to be sure that Tammy just didn't oversleep before jumping to conclusions that something bad happened to her. Because really, the only thing that he knows is the last time he heard from her was five. Yeah. You know? So once they arrived, they knock on the door and they waited for a response, but there was nothing. Not even a shuffle inside the home. And all of the lights were turned off. So detectives then peep through the garage door window to see Tammy's Dodge Durango was inside. And it was. But something caught their eye about the car. Well, underneath the car. A blood stain was on the floor of the garage and it seemed to be dripping from the Durango. Oh, shit. Detectives knew something was wrong the moment they spotted this. So they headed to Walmart where Brad Rhea was working, Tammy's husband. So they arrive and Brad is like surprised. He's like, can I help you guys out? And they're like, yeah, we're looking for you. Have you heard from your wife? And Brad explains that he had worked until 1030 p.m. the night before. And when he returned home, Tammy was not there. This did not surprise him because since moving to Pierre, is it Pierre? Sounds right. P-I-E-R-R-E. Yeah. Pierre. Pierre. Yeah. Um, Ever since moving to Pierre, South Dakota, um, from their hometown of Billings, Montana, two years earlier, Brad worked a lot and was rarely home. So the couple had very different schedules. It was basically like they were living as roommates. Mm -hmm. However, at 1 a.m. that night, Brad said he heard a car pull into the driveway. And when he looked outside, he saw Tammy's Durango had been parked in the drive where it wasn't before. And there was another car driving off, but no sign of Tammy. He just assumed that Tammy and her boyfriend were dropping off his her car at their house and then going back to the boyfriend's place. He explained that once he saw this, he immediately jumped into Tammy's Durango using the spare keys, trying to follow the couple so he could identify who her boyfriend was because he had no idea who it was. However, while driving, the Durango broke down on the side of the road and a state trooper pulled over to help him and then he returned home. Detectives then asked Brad if he would mind if they all went back to his house just to have a look around. And Brad agrees. He says, yes, of course, anything to find her. I just hope she's okay. So while in the police cruiser on the way to the home, Brad signed a release form for detectives uh, to search the home and the cars, you know, without a warrant. Brad waited outside as the three detectives walked through the home. Uh, The house was clean and it just looked like a regular family of three's home. Dishes were in the sink from breakfast that morning. Haley's outfit changes were scattered around her room and the laundry was being ran in the machine with the parents having separate bedrooms. That was like the only thing about this house that would stand out to someone who grew up in a great house, I guess. I don't know. I just don't find it weird when parents sleep separately. So... Everything seemed to be going well throughout this search. They're really like, I wonder if she just ran off with the boyfriend and this is like a big thing. But then they remembered the garage. So they opened up the garage door that was connected to the house and they were punched in the face with a strong smell of bleach. Bleach. I knew you were going to think it was decomp. It's bleach, bitch. Uh, No, with bleach. And the source was the Durango. It was Eerily silent as detectives stood there with the sound of dripping blood falling from the car and splattering on the garage floor. And like I said before, it was coming from the back door of the car. 
Detectives immediately stepped away from the Durango and called into the station for a search warrant because at this point, the house is now considered a crime scene. And if Brad knew, then he might take away their rights to search while they waited on the search warrant and clean it all up before they can get in there. So they needed a proper warrant and they needed it quickly. And it actually happened like that for them. Just that never moments happens that never. Either. This is like the craziest case. Yeah. So immediately, got some yeah, they're, they're on it. Force. They're like, people don't think we're real. We're on this <laughs> shit. <laughs> so pretty quickly, they were able to obtain the search warrant, while other officers searched the home thoroughly. So Brad and a detective went back to the station for a formal interview. And the other two went to Haley's school to question her about the night in the morning before, which is where we left off. So while other detectives are interviewing the Rea family, and uh, more officers are looking to verify Brad's story about the car breaking down, which they are able to do, actually. There, on the state trooper dash cam, was Brad and a trooper starting up his car at the same place, same time that Brad had told them. So his story was confirmed. As I stated before, Brad had moved his entire family from Montana to South Dakota for work. This was very hard for Tammy. She was extremely close with her mother who lived back in Montana, and the two spoke every single morning after Haley went to school while Tammy was getting ready for work. Every phone call was typically the same, just catching up on the day before, mom and daughter hot goss, and just talking about life. Well, Tammy and Brad's relationship had been extremely distanced since their move. Brad worked long hours, was rarely home, and when he was home, he was just unhappy. He wasn't being the husband or the father that father that Tammy or Haley wanted. About a year after moving to South Dakota is when Tammy began having an emotional affair with Brian, the lover. Okay. The two are both married, so he has a family, she has a family, they're both married. But neither of them were happy in their marriages. Soon after the affair started, like I said, it started off as solely emotional. And then it pretty quickly became physical, as they do. And Tammy loved being with Brian. So she would return home to an empty bed and a house that just didn't feel like home and lie in bed alone, thinking about how much better her life would be if she and Haley just left Brad. I mean, hell, he didn't even seem to care, like, if they were there or not. It didn't matter to him, according to Tammy. Months before her disappearance, Tammy and Brad sat down and Tammy asked Brad for a divorce, telling him that she was having an affair. Brad did not take this well, obviously. Despite the fact that he never cared to try to make anything work before, he did not want a divorce. But it was too late for Tammy. She had already made up her mind, and she chose her own happiness. She went to tell Brian about this. However, he wasn't wanting to leave his wife and kids just yet. He enjoyed having a side piece. But as every good cheater does, he assured Tammy that he would leave. After her, of course. Right. You leave first. Yeah, you go first. Okay. So back at the Rhea house, officers were searching through everything, mainly the Durango and whatever was inside the washer, because those were the only things that seemed kind of out of place. Obviously, the Durango's out of place. There's blood in it. Right. Um, so they're searching the bloodstained garage that still reeked of bleach. And the medical examiner on the scene is taking sample after sample while preparing for a luminol test that would be administered after dark. Despite this, everyone knew one thing for sure. The amount of blood that was at the scene in that car, visible to investigators, was enough to supply an entire human body. 
AKA, if this blood comes back as Tammy's, she is for sure dead. And if not, someone Somebody else is. Somebody else is. Ah! But detectives just could not wrap their heads around Brad Rea doing this to his wife. Yes, of course he had the motive, but why so easily allow investigators into your home if you have something to hide? Detectives at the station with Brad began grilling him, just waiting for him to break at any seconds and admit to murdering his wife. Basically screaming, where is she, Brad? Where is she? Tell us where your wife's body is. We know you fought with her that night and you killed her in your house. Where is she? What did you do? What did you do? But Brad wasn't budging. He just kept reiterating to police that if he had done it, there would be blood everywhere in the house. And it's not like he's like a trained mafia hitman. He wouldn't know what to do with that. Brad then told police that he completely understood why detectives were looking at him. I mean, hell, all the evidence was pointing directly at him. But he told detectives that he hopes that they would find her soon, her body that is, because there would probably be some sort of evidence or DNA that would prove to them that he was an innocent man. Okay, Brad. The interrogation tactics were pretty much getting out of hand at this point. Investigators are getting upset. He's kind of being an asshole about it. Like, all right, whatever, keep screaming, but I didn't do it. And it went on and got so bad that Brad shut down and asked for a lawyer. Boom. That's it. Brad had to be released legally if they didn't want to arrest him. This was terrifying for investigators. If they released Brad and he did it, they were looking at the possibility that he would dispose of more evidence and Mm -hmm. then go on the run and possibly take Haley with him. And though they didn't have a body or a weapon, this was just not something that they were willing to risk. So they arrested Brad Reha and they arrested him for the first degree murder of his wife. Holy crap. Brad was pretty calm when he was arrested and he just kept repeating that he was being framed and asking about his daughter. At this point, Haley's family was contacted about her disappearance and possible murder, which is when they were told that Haley would be taken by CPS to a group home until one of them could come and take guardianship of her. This part makes me cry. Immediately, Tammy's father jumped into his car and began driving at the speed of light to get his grandbaby and go search for his daughter. Because could you imagine being like your grandbaby is about to be put in a foster home? Like if something happened to you and they're like, we're taking Ollie to the pound. I would literally I would I would crash through cars to go get him. That is like, you know what? That's awful. That's terrible. I know that's like a dog compared to a human, but we don't know how to relate. Okay, yeah, that's the best we got. That's the best we got. Okay. So back at the Reha house, um, Reha house, I keep saying Reha, um, lab test results came back confirming that the blood did belong to 41-year-old Tammy Reha. I keep saying it weird now. I'm just going to start saying Tammy, Brad, and Haley, okay? Yeah. It's like <laughs> when you say something too much, you know, that's how I feel about it. But the only blood that they could find was in the Durango. However, there was no way that this could have been the scene of the murder. It looked only as if a body was sat there after being murdered. I mean, there was no blood splatter and the house was completely clean. So where the hell is this other location and where else had Tammy been that night? Well, that's right. According to Brad, she was with Brian, her lover. So where the fuck is Brian? Exactly what they're asking themselves. Did they release their main suspect, Speckfree? 
Did oh, they just God. arrest the wrong man? Meaning that their now main suspect was off doing God knows what and potentially discarding more evidence that would connect him to the yes. crime. Holy shit, was Brad right? Was he being framed by his wife's lover? I mean, there is so much motive there. Maybe Tammy was getting angry with Brian for not actually leaving his wife like he had promised. Maybe they got into it that night as they drove away when Brad was following them before his car broke down. Maybe Tammy threatened to tell Brian's wife about their affair. And maybe Brian killed Tammy for even threatening that. Detectives felt like they were going to shit their uniforms when the realization (laughs) set in. They were freaking out. So they call up Brian and they ask him to come into the station. They're like, hey, man, what's up, man? We just need you to come in real fast. And he's like, yeah, okay." So lover Brian agrees to come down. But when he shows up, he is lawyered up. Hmm. Not a vibe, Brian. Not a vibe. Oh, Brian. That's guilty right across <laughs> Exactly. Face. Like, okay, you have every right to do it, and I would probably do it. Absolutely. But yeah. it makes you look so bad. Especially if they're like, hey, man, like, because he filed the report. Hey, exactly. man, come in. Like, that's like routine. Like, we exactly. got to ask you some questions. You know, we just need to have some follow up questions. Right. We want to update you on the case. He yeah. pulls up with a lawyer. Mm, no, not a vibe. So they asked Brian to recount he and Tammy's day on February 7th, the day before she had gone missing. So he explained again that they worked together that day, and then after work, they both headed to their motel spot where they hooked up. After this, they left there at 5 p.m. in separate cars when Tammy went to Haley's basketball game and Brian returned home to his family, and he never left his house again. Detectives still had an uneasy feeling about this, so they told Brian that he would need to have someone confirm his alibi, and that person needed to be his wife. Oh, shit. As she was the only one home with him that evening. Brian begged them not to tell her about the affair, but Brian, but the detectives are like, well, what else are we supposed to do? Right. We have to tell her. Brian's wife was then called down to the station And detectives broke the news to her and asked her if she would be able to confirm if he was at home that night. After being told that he's cheating on you, can you confirm that he was home that night? What what do you think is a better call? Ask confirming the alibi first and then telling it or telling them and then asking to confirm the alibi? I don't know. Maybe I maybe telling them like. Like, if I didn't know anything and the police were just asking me, like, hey, was Brian here tonight? Because then I could be like, wait, maybe his alibi is that he's somewhere else. Like, oh, yeah. Like, no, he wasn't home, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know what to think. Well, I think I think I would say so if someone told me before, I'd be like, no, that that asshole was not home. (laughs) Actually, I know exactly where he was. Actually, I changed my story. He was gone either way. (laughs) Yeah, but no, he they told her first before asking if she was was good. Good for them. And she did. She told investigators that when he got home at 5 p.m. that day, they stayed home together until the morning. Good on you, mate, because I don't know that could have fucking done that. Yeah. I've been like, he did it. I don't know what he did, but he did it. (laughs) Yeah. Lock him up. (laughs) Get him out of here. So she did have more to add to this, though. Brian's wife actually suffered from chronic back and neck pain. Oh. So sometimes she would have to sleep sitting up in the family room recliner so that she could get a good night's rest. And that night, she did that. 
However, she was a super light sleeper, she said. So if he would have left the house, she would have woken up typically. So she couldn't say for sure that he didn't sneak out, but it was highly unlikely. Well, on February 10th, a South Dakota National Guard helicopter was flying north of the city over a dam when they spotted something below. And when they went to investigate, it was a body. And the body belonged to Tammy, lying naked in a wooded area. Oh, no. Wooded area. The location of her body was 15 miles away from her home. Tammy's body was examined, and she had been stabbed 36 (gasps) times all over her body and face. Oh, that's a vengeance killing. Mm -hmm. With her her neck cut open. Oh, no. This was a vicious attack, a crime of passion, if I've ever said it before. Whoever killed her wanted her silenced and dead. The medical examiner did a thorough autopsy and a ton of swabs on Tammy's body, like fingernails, hair, hands, vagina, rectal area, and sent all of these swabs off for testing. After searching the area where the body was discovered, it was obvious to detectives that this is not the site that she was murdered. She had been dumped there. And we know that the car, her Durango, was used to dump her, And the last person driving it was her husband, Brad. The only thing that investigators could find at the scene was a pair of bloody gloves and a t-shirt with multiple stab wounds in it. Apparently, it was the one that Tammy was wearing at the time of her attack. Detectives now had a body, but this didn't clear up any of the blurred lines that they had. Still, they were torn. Is it Brad or is it Brian? And guys, I want to go ahead and apologize because these B names, I know they're hard they're, to follow. They're tripping me up, but yeah. I have, I've caught on. Okay. So the last piece of this puzzle that would break this case open for them is a crime scene where the murder happened. So detectives decided to bring in a CSI team to sweep through the Rhea home just one more time. And they found something. In Brad's underwear drawer, there, which was in his personal room, remember they have two separate mm-hmm. rooms, they found a small digital voice recorder. And the first thing that they heard was a man's voice saying, testing, testing. And then it was silence. The next few moments, as investigators listened to the eerie static noises, you could have heard a pin drop. And then... It almost startles the investigators when they hear Tammy's voice. The recording seemed to be a one side of a phone conversation. And it was Tammy calling the Kmart asking to speak with Brian Clark. When Brian comes to the phone, Tammy says, I just wanted to hear your voice. She seemed a little overwhelmed. She explained to Brian that the reason she's overwhelmed is because her husband, Brad, getting the bees mixed up, sorry, had used a spare key of her Durango to leave flowers and a letter in her car for her to find after work. And she didn't know what to do about it because he never did that. She ended the phone call saying, I love you very much, Brian. And then the recording ends. Detectives knew immediately that this was Brad's handiwork. And all of that talk about not knowing who Tammy's secret lover was, was bullshit. Brant, no, Brant, 
Brad. Brad. <laughs> God, I'm really... Brant now. Both too many bees. Um, Brad had planted this voice recorder in the bouquet of flowers that he had gotten for Tammy and then planted it so he could hear who her lover was. And just when they felt confident in the man that they had behind bars, this investigation gets flipped upside down. Detectives received a letter that was written by Brian, the lover's, cousin. And the letter explained that the writer, Brian's cousin, aided Brian in disposing of Tammy's <gasps> body and framing Brad for the murder of Tammy. Oh, shit. The writer went on to explain that Brian showed up at his house in the middle of the night explaining that he had gotten into a fight with his girlfriend and it got extremely out of hand and it ended with him stabbing her multiple times before slitting her throat. The details made the hairs on the investigator's arms stand straight up because these details that are in this letter had yet to be released to anyone. Therefore, whoever wrote this was an eyewitness or the killer themselves. The letter continues. Apparently, the argument was about leaving his wife, which Brian wasn't ready to do. After this argument, Brian wanted to have sex, but Tammy just wanted to go home. At the time, they were just hooking up in the car somewhere. That was their original plan before they got into the fight. So when Tammy denies him sex, he lost his mind and Brian became filled with rage and raped Tammy. The writer went on to explain that Brian had worn a condom to be sure that his semen wouldn't be left behind in her. However, Tammy fought so hard that the condom slipped off inside of her. And after Brian murdered her, he tried to get in her to remove it, but he couldn't reach it. Brian's cousin, who wrote this letter, said that he could no longer keep the secret to himself because it was eating at his soul. Detectives are shocked and just staring at the words on the page. And they got that sinking feeling that they had after arresting Brad the first time. They thought back to each and every one of Brad's visitors that he had in jail and to all the phone calls that he had made. They surely would have known if he had written this letter or asked someone to write it. So again, do they have the wrong man behind bars? One thing that didn't make sense about this letter is that every other detail was correct except for the condom. The medical examiner never found a condom in Tammy's body. Luckily for detectives, Tammy's body was still in the morgue, so they were able to send the medical her back to the medical examiner's office to be searched. And holy shit, they found the oh fucking condom. This was a giant win for investigators or a loss since it wasn't found earlier. And because it hadn't been found earlier and had been in there, the DNA on the condom was unable to be extracted and tested due to deterioration. Well, this was all within the same week of Tammy being reported missing. Like we talked about how fast this investigation is going. And DNA doesn't disappear that fast. So this detective got to thinking. Specifically thinking about what Brad said when he was being arrested. I hope you find her body soon. I'm sure that there will be DNA that will show you that I'm innocent. And then police didn't find the DNA. 
And then out of nowhere, in a one in a million chance, they, they a leave letter. a condom in there. And then they get a letter that corrects them. For their initial interviews with Brian, the lover, they knew that he and Tammy didn't always go to the motel to hook up. And sometimes they would go hook up in the car somewhere or like get out in like a grassy area and like take, you know, a blanket down. It's romantic. Yeah. So what if, very high school, um, so what if Brad had followed them one day after learning who Brian was and when Brian threw the condom away, which Brian said he used to just throw him out the window, which don't let her. Yeah. Okay. Seriously. Um, And when Brian would throw the condom out the window, maybe Brad stole it to plant it as evidence and frame Brian not knowing that DNA deteriorates. But if this was the case, how did Brad send this letter? He was being heavily monitored. So they go back through Brad's visitor log. And there was one person that stood out to them. This person came every day, multiple times a day. And it was Brett Rhea. Oh, my God. Another Brad's three? twin. What? There's a twin now. I got chilled. I know. And on top of all of this... When Brett came to visit the last few times, he and Brad were placed in a visitor room that had no cameras. Oh, my God. In a panic, investigators rushed to go through all of Brad's phone call recordings and letters that he sent to his brother, Brett. Seen as before each letter is mailed in a jail, they take a photo of it. And then they find it. The break in the case that they were waiting for. The letter that was sent to Brett from Brad, I might have said Brian earlier, so please know I'm talking about Brad and Brett, his twin brother. Evil twin brother. Um, Crazy. <laughs> it was this a like map. This is like a telenovela. This is literally a lifetime movie. <laughs> um, it was a map that Brad had drawn out and it said, great fishing spots. And marked on the paper were three areas. And one of them was where Tammy's body was found. Instantly, detectives jump up from the table and take a team out to these locations to search for the evidence for evidence in the areas that are marked on the map that was made by Brad. And oh my God, there they found the knife, three trash bags filled with evidence, bloody bed linens, a bloody tarp, rubber gloves, a box of condoms with one condom missing, and a pair of bloody women's underwear. And the blood was a perfect match to Tammy's. The trash bags and foliage matched the bags in the rail house and the plant matter found on the bottom of Brad's boots. Detectives then obtained a search warrant for Brad's twin brother, Brett's house and cars which is when they found a copy of the letter that was sent to detectives and the notepad that matched the page perfectly. Oh he God. kept the, uh, he made a copy of the letter and kept it. Oh my Is God. he crazy? Brett was arrested for being an accessory to murder and detectives knew that they had the right guy. So the prosecution theorized that Brad followed Tammy and Brian to one of their hookup spots and collected the condom that was left behind. On the day of February 7th, Brad took Tammy's sheets and bedding off the mattress in her room while she was at work before laying down the tarp and covering it up with the sheets and the bedding again. 
In the middle of the night, while Tammy was sleeping, he stabbed her to death before wrapping her body up in the tarp, sheets, and bedding, putting her body into the back of her own Durango and driving her body to the dam, where he planted the condom that he had collected from one of the hookup spots and planted it inside of his own dead wife's body before discarding of all of the evidence in three separate locations that were later found on the map. When Brad was on his way home, the car did break down, which is when he was spotted by the state trooper, and the state trooper helped him to restart the car with, I'm sure, Brad shitting his pants because there's blood in the back. Um, And then Brad headed home, making up the story that he was following Brian's car with Tammy in it. When he got back home, Brian began cleaning up all night, doing all the laundry, making sure that the house was spotless. He replaced the bedding and made his daughter breakfast before taking her to school and him going to work like it was a normal fucking day. While Brad was on the stand, he announced to the court that he was an innocent man, that he would never kill his wife. He was a protector, and that's exactly what he was doing and had been doing this entire time. Protecting. Okay. His daughter. Oh. 12-year-old Haley. Brad claimed that the night of February 7th, he heard noises coming from Tammy's room. When he got to the room, he found his daughter in a catatonic daze, hovering over her mother's dead and mutilated body with a knife in hand. He quickly walked Haley back to her bedroom and cleaned her up as she was still in a sleepwalking state. <gasps> he had to work fast, though, to make sure that he could clean it all up and dispose of all of the evidence, get rid of her mother's body to protect his daughter. So he got to work. He didn't sleep at all. And when Haley came to the breakfast table that morning and asked where her mother was, Brad panicked, realizing that she had no memory of what she had done. So he began pushing the narrative that she was murdered by Brian. Oh, my God. I was not expecting this. He went on to say that Haley had been emotionally disturbed little girl growing up with worrisome tendencies. He and Tammy decided to keep this to themselves, hoping that she would one day grow out of it. And she did until they broke the news about the divorce. She was an angry and upset teenager, of course, because she had just gotten settled in in a new state, in a new school with all new friends around with no family, and she held resentment against her mother for wanting to leave her father, uprooting their lives again and moving again. So the court calls Haley to take the stand, and when she does, she's like, my dad's entire story is absolute bullshit. He's a liar. On the night that her mother went missing, Haley woke up out of the dead sleep that she was in. And in the dark of the night, she heard a noise. So she turns over and she's looking at her door, which is where she sees her father standing there with bed sheets in his hands. Brad quietly then sat the linens down before walking over to the bed and kissing his daughter on the forehead saying, I love you so much. And then Haley fell back asleep. After this, the jury deliberated for literally only three hours before coming back with their verdict. Brad Rea was convicted and charged with first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Brett, his evil twin brother, was was charged with being an accessory to the murder of his sister-in-law and sentenced to 172 days in prison because of a plea deal because once he got arrested, he was like, fine, I'll give up everything about it. So, yeah. Holy crap. 
That's the Lifetime movie. I don't think you've ever covered a case with that many twists and turns and this and that. I have. That is crazy. The research on this case was intense. In South Dakota, right? South Dakota. South Dakota. Police force. Oh, my God. They're like, you don't think we're real, bitch? Let me show you just how real we are. That bitch on Creepsy Crimes. (laughs) (laughs) I love that case. Yeah, that was a crazy case. Her daughter, Haley, now works with, uh, she has a TED Talk. You guys can go listen to it. It's a great TED Talk. And she spells her name H-A-Y-L-E-E. Go check that out. She talks about domestic violence and situations like this and like when you need to know to get out. And she- Can you imagine pinning it on your daughter? No! He pinned the murder of his wife and was like, I was protecting her until he's about to go to jail. And then he's like, and oh, this fuck you, daughter. And this girl had to take the stand and say that she didn't murder her. She didn't stab her mom 30 times and slit her throat. Exactly. And like, That's how, so fucked up. What? Like, how could she have done that even? Fought, I mean, when you get stabbed once, you're going to wake up. Right. You know? Damn. So yeah, that's the case. It's a Loved crazy it, case. Hated, hated it. it. <laughs> like, it's it's like a love hate relationship with all things that true is crime. So crazy. Yeah, that's an insane case. So yeah, oh, man. Check out her daughter's um web websites and TED talks and stuff. She's Haley is grown into an amazing young um act active. Hello, activist. A- activist. Yes, I couldn't say the word. I was saying like actor actor she's not an actor she's an activist for domestic violence awareness and um helping survivors so wow good for her good for her she really hard to come around no like imagine that happening to you your dad literally accused you of murder after you were put into a foster home and told that your mom was cheating on you know they're getting divorced and now he's she's with her boyfriend and then you go to school and then you get you're freaking out and then you walk into the office after your name goes on the loudspeaker which is already enough oh yeah everyone looks at you there's two cops standing there and then they're like okay well you need to come to court sweetheart yeah like what good thing she has her grandpa oh yeah oh god tammy's apparently tammy's family and tammy herself they were just like the most amazing people like (sighs) they are they're just great people so i'm happy that Haley had a good end of this story I hate this for Tammy. She really deserved a lot better and she deserved to leave an obvious narcissist. Like he truly was thinking that he was so slick that he was going to get around police, letting them in his home, the murder scene. Sending fishing maps out of the prison. Like, okay, Okay, Brad. Okay, Brad, with your evil twin, Brett, trying to frame Brian. Brett framing Brian. Jesus. Can we make that the title? Sally sells she's Jesus Christ. So I hope you guys followed that good. Um because I know there's a lot of B names and I probably got them confused once or twice. But yeah, th- there's there it's bound to be a mess up in there. Yeah. It was um, so great. Great job. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right, guys. So thanks so much for listening to Creeps and Crimes Podcast, episode sixty eight. We see we we <laughs> we will see you. We will see you next week. See you next week. And if you want more episodes, go ahead and get on the Patreon. Patreon honors. $5 a month. There's two bonus episodes that are only for you. Exclusive episodes that come out every single month. We're a little late on the January ones because we just got back from the crazy travels that we went on. Mm -hmm. And uh, it'll be up this weekend. So we'll talk to you guys soon. It should actually already be up. Oh, it'll be up already. Sorry. The weekend that I'm in. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Love you. Bye.